If you're looking for great Christian content, we want to encourage you to check out peachtreepress.org. Peachtree Press LLC offers digital products, journals, books, Bible study guides, sermon outlines, Christian blogs, and church notebooks for children and adults. Some products are also available as print on demand. Peachtree Press is a sponsor of this program and a partner in offering authentic Christian content. For more information, check out peachtreepress.org. Welcome back, rappers, to our fourth season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. If you haven't already done it, please hit that subscribe button or follow us for content on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com for sermons, weekly blogs, books, study guides, and lots of free stuff. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's program. Open up to the book of Jonah. We're going to start here today, and I don't know if we'll get through all four of our characters today. We'll do our very best, but I wanted to start with uh, Jonah because we last week talked about Elijah and really had our eyes open to a lot of the the mindset behind uh, individuals who struggle with depression, uh, and that is that he turned a lot of the things that actually happened to him um, or happened to other people on himself, and he, he starts telling himself these lies that you know, he doesn't have anybody to help him, and there's nobody, nobody cares, and there's nobody in Israel that's faithful, and God has to correct him every time. And then he, he also kind of gets in his own head thinking that he'd be better off dead than to serve God, and of course that's not the case. And what God did for Elijah was he gave him an apprentice. He gave him Elisha to help, uh, help the work. But today, we're going to see a guy who's completely alone, uh, and he knows it. And that's Jonah. So in Jonah chapter 1, kind of give you a little survey. We remember the story, I'm sure, is that uh, he ends up, he's called by God in verse 2. says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But then the first part of chapter 3 says, But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish. Now, I'm not sure exactly why Tarshish. Uh, probably because it was as far away as he could get from home, uh, to get far enough away from uh, the city where God wanted him to go. But he gets to the boat, and the Bible says that as soon as he gets on the boat, they take off, and uh, God sent a great wind across the sea. And it says it was a mighty tempest. So we would think of it like a hurricane. And then it says that uh, in verse Four also, it says the ship was about to be broken up. So, like, if you've ever been on a boat before and you've heard creaking and popping, you can imagine the whole ship creaking and popping. And for whatever reason, he's down below taking a nap, and the captain comes to get him, which is rare, by the way. Usually, if the, if the captain is on board the ship, he's at the stern or he's at the wheel. He's somewhere present trying to help the situation. But he goes below quarters and wakes him up and tells him, you know, you've got, we need help. We need help. And so they, he comes to the top of the surface. They cast lots, verse 7, say, whoever has caused this trouble, let the lot fall on him. And it falls on Jonah. And then he has the confession. You know, he's like, you know, look, I'm a Hebrew. I serve the God of heaven. And he's the one who made the sea and the dry land. And they want to know what he did. You know, what, what did you do? Why did you anger God? And they say, what, why have you done this? Verse 10. And so he says to them, verse 11, 
What shall we do? Uh, or pardon me. They, they, say, they say to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said, pick me up and throw me into the sea. And then the sea will become calm for you. For I know this great tempest is because of me. So he admits that he's the source of the problem. He refuses to do the will of God. So he feels like, I think from, from the way I read it, it seems almost as if he, since he's the problem, maybe when he gets thrown off the boat, something will happen. Maybe he'll drown, he'll die, and all of this will be over. But when he hits the water, he doesn't drown, he doesn't sink, and um, the water becomes calm. And so when the water becomes calm, it says uh, that they feared God, verse 16. They feared the Lord, they started offering sacrifices, and they took vows, and that's when God had this giant fish come and swallow him. Now, we're not going to get into the debate about whether or not it's a fish or a whale. It was, it was a large water-based um, creature. I personally believe that whatever kind of a creature it was, it may have been created for this purpose alone. Um, I don't know why we think sometimes that everything that God created was meant to procreate. <laughs> sometimes God created things and it was meant to be just for one purpose. Uh, maybe the worm at the end of the book, same thing. But this, he just says he prepared this big fish and it swallows him up. And then chapter 2, if we look at his prayer, he, he starts crying out to God for his affliction. Verse 2, uh, he cries out. He says he's in the belly of Sheol. You, know, you ever known people that whenever something happens, especially our young people, I'm just going to die. Oh, this is so terrible. That was Jonah. I'm just going to go to the to the valley of the dead. I am dead. And he says, verse 3, that it's God's fault. He says, you cast me into the deep, into the hearts of the seas. Now, let's back up. Who threw Jonah into the water? The men on the boat. This is... But who, whose fault was it? Whose fault was it? Yeah. He did. Yeah. He said, throw me in. Right. They didn't want to. No, they didn't. They, they tried to hesitate. They rode even harder trying to keep him on the boat. So he's... They even had a small prayer to God say, don't charge us with innocent blood. Yes, exactly. You're the one who brought this, so we're just trying to do what you told us. Exactly. And those are all, I mean, really important parts. It's hard to get through the whole book. And, I know, but No, no, it's great. You're right. And the, not only that, he... When, when they start to, to row even harder, it shows that they were men of integrity. Like, they, these were not bad men. So he should have felt terrible for getting them involved. And, and now, you know, he's like, God, you threw me into the water, and, and now the floods are surrounding me. He says, all your billows and your waves are passing over me. This is another sign of this struggle with anxiety, is that we blame God for everything that's happening. Well, you know, God did make the sea, and he did make the land, and he did make us. But God doesn't sit around and try to come up with creative ways to punish his children. Sometimes it's just natural things. Um, and disease is the same thing. You know, we say, why did God let my loved one have cancer? Why, why, why do they have to have that? Why, why couldn't God protect him? Well, that's part of the process of life. I mean, some people de- develop diseases and it's not God looking down. He goes, give this one this and give this one this. It's just part of life. And we, we should not blame God for all of our ills. Sometimes it's things we got ourselves into. And this is Jonah's problem. <clears throat> is kids will, especially young people will say this. They'll say, I don't understand why this is happening to me. And I feel like the whole world's against me. And that's Jonah. He's acting like a spoiled brat. And, uh, and God's punishing him for it. I mean, he's allowing, God's allowing this, this, this moment to, uh, to humble him a little bit. 
And so he says, now I'm cast from your sight, and, and, and yet I will look again towards your temple. And he says, your waters surround me, even to my soul. The deep is closed in around me. Weeds are wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with all its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up, uh, brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. So this kind of, I see this as the, the, even though he can't see inside the belly of this fish, when he goes down, you can sense inside of, if you've ever been inside of a, uh, uh, a boat or uh, if you've ever been inside a submarine or anything that's gone underneath the water, that pressure changes as you go down. So he feels the pressure going down to the depths. And so this fish goes deep, 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 deep. But it comes back up, so he now sees it ascending. So he's wondering if he's going get to get a second chance. And he says, my soul fainted within me, verse 7, and I remembered the Lord. So he feels like maybe as he was in that pit of despair, that his prayers might have helped to raise the fish up out of the water. And so then he says, those who regard worthless idols forsake your, uh, own, their own mercy, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So it almost seems as if as the fish rises up out of the water, he gets this hope inside of him that maybe this isn't the end. And so as he prays this prayer, the disgusting part is verse 10, where he vomits him out on the dry land. And uh, after three days in the fish's belly, the smell that he would have had on his body, uh, the discoloration of his skin, there are certain enzymes within fish's stomachs, whales too, that, um, that actually takes the pigmentation out of the skin. So he would have looked more pale and he would have smelled terrible. And so I don't know how much... Uh, they spent on hygiene, but I do know from, from history is they didn't take showers every day. And sometimes the only time that they ever cleaned themselves off was when they went to the creek or to the river. And so it's possible that he still had fish guts on him when he was walking to the city. And so this is a big deal because Jonah's sitting here going, I don't want to tell these people about salvation. He says salvation is of the Lord, but does he really mean it? Verse nine, does he really mean that somebody needs salvation. He sees himself, but what about all these Ninevites? So he makes his trek to the city, and chapter 3 says that he goes, and of course God comes to him again and goes, all right. And I I see him laying on the seashore after being vomited up, disgusting. He's probably sick to his stomach. God says again, arise, go to Nineveh. Like, okay, I get it, I get it. The great city, and and preach to it the message I tell you. So he gets up, he goes to Nineveh, And as he enters the city on the first day, it says in verse 4, it said um, he walks in a day's walk, and it was about three days' journey from one side to the other. These cities were huge. Um, We are the ones that have created cities and suburbs and rural, I mean, areas, urban areas. In this day, most everybody lived close to the city. You didn't, like, live way off. And this is something that bothers me. I don't I don't know why this bothers me, but it does, is that a lot of people that live in foreign lands, like for instance, um, I know that we all love where we grew up and we love home, but the best thing we could do for these people that live out in the deserts of Ethiopia is not to ship food in. What we need to do is send them U-Hauls. <laughs> why are you still living out there in the middle of the desert with no food and water? You know, like what, does anybody thought about that? Am I the only one that thinks about that? As we, we go out there and these people are starving in the desert and they're like, we need medical care and water and food. And I would be like, here's a bus. Let's take you to Cairo. You know, let's, why don't, why are you staying out here in the middle of the desert 
and you're just going to die. And you're asking us to come drop shipments to you. No, no. Get on the bus. Go to a big city. Get on the U-Haul and get out of here. Why are you still, after four, 6,000 years, are you still living in the middle of the desert? It's not like one day it's just going to rain. So I don't know. Maybe I'm just... Uh, that's just the way I think, but I just don't understand it. I, I personally, if somebody's in a mess, you try to get them out of the mess. You don't go, I'll pat you on the head and give you a bottle of water. That's not what you do. You, Hey, you, your problem is not, you don't have enough food. The problem is the desert doesn't provide food. So move. Um, we have lots of places on the planet that you shouldn't live. Nobody's going to live out in the middle of the ocean on a boat for the rest of their life because you're going to need fuel and food and water. And, but, um, anyways, that's the thing that I think is called common sense, but, uh, so anyways, Jonah goes to this city. He doesn't want to go. He has no intention of going. And after the second call, he goes, but he only goes a day in. And so this city is, they say, from one end to the other, about three days walk. So he goes a full day in, and he's, you know, imagine him just, you know, trodden through the city. And he gets to the point where he's supposed to preach his sermon. And he says, verse 4, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, I don't know if that's the entirety of the message, it's kind of like maybe God said, here's what I need you to do. I need you to go down there and I need you to preach a message to them that tells them in 40 days that I'm going to punish them. And if they don't repent, then this is their fate. Uh, it could be that there's more to the sermon that the, that the writer doesn't record. But it's possible that this is all he says. He just goes to the middle of the city and he's got uh, probably discoloration on his skin, smelling of fish guts, angry already, walks into the city you guys have 40 days and you're all going to die. And he turns around and leaves. And so there's no continued ministry. There is no uh, convincing that there is a God. It seems like the people took him serious, even though this is all we have that he said. And he makes his way back out of town. And he's going to go find himself a nice little ridge where he can watch the whole city be destroyed. Because his, his thought is he's so angry and so frustrated and so anxious that he wants all of the world, he wants everything to burn. And this is something that happens sometimes to us. This is a, a mental health issue. Is that oftentimes people, when they get, um, they get punished or they don't get their way or somebody offends them, they just want everybody to punish. They want everybody to get, you know, they don't want anybody to be happy. It's kind of like um, misery loves company. And that's, that's Jonah. He wants them all to be punished. He doesn't want them to repent. That's pretty clear. So um, the people, according to verse 5 of chapter 3, repent and they proclaim a fast. And it says from the greatest to the least. This means that the king's the one who probably started it. And we see that later on. He, he probably immediately heard the message or heard of the message of Jonah and said, we've got to do something about this. We don't want to die. And so it says, verse 6, that the king tears his robe. Uh, he, he covers himself with sackcloth and ashes. And then he proclaimed and published a decree throughout all of Nineveh that no one, not even the, the, um, the beasts, should have any food or water. And so they fasted and they prayed for the 40 days. And God relents. And it says God, verse 10, saw their works and, he, and that they turned from their evil way and that God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them and he didn't do it. Now, I'm, I would think if you want a really good story, I would... If you're, if you're writing the story, and I think Jonah did write the story, uh, it, you always want to be the hero of your own story. You know, you want, to be, you want to be the person who is the good guy. But that's not the end of Jonah's story. Because Jonah's attitude from chapter 1 hasn't changed to chapter 4. 
He's done what God asked. He's done exactly what God told him to do, but he does not have the right attitude about it. So God is going to humble him again. It says it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. It says, so he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. So again, just like in chapter one, he's angry with God. He doesn't want God to show mercy. And there are some people that, that are blessed. Some people repent and change their life. And our feelings about it are mixed. You know, if, we, if you have someone that does something terrible to you or someone you love and they go to prison and they're in there, you know, six, eight weeks and they, ha- they find Jesus. You know, they, oh, I'm going to get baptized and I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. And you go, well, that doesn't take away the pain that they inflicted on me. And so Jonah's frustration. And remember the Ninevites, too, they're Syrians. They killed most of the prophets and the leaders that Jonah knew. So these are people that deserved Punishment, And here he is going, oh, well, I knew you'd show mercy. That's why I didn't want to go in the first place. And so, uh, so let's think about that for just a minute. When he says, again, I want to die. I just want to die. What does that tell you about his mental state? What's going through his head? What do you think? What's the phrase that gets used a lot these days? I can't even anymore. Yeah, can't even. Yeah. And I always like can't even what, because I was taught you know you shouldn't you shouldn't uh, do that to people. You should always finish your. In this case, it's, it's like you can't even can't, can't even, even what can't even handle things anymore. Right. Like he just does he can't stand the, right. these enemies of Israel that put mm-hmm. so much pain on them. Yeah. God has relented his mercy towards them, even though it's God's own chosen people that they've done so many bad things to. Right. And so his anxiety is that he doesn't want his enemies to be saved. He thinks it'd be better for them to be punished. Now, some of them are going to be punished because later on, there's a guy named Nahum. We've got his book in our Bible. And he gives the message to the Ninevites that Jonah wanted. (laughs) Jonah, if he'd have found out Nahum had that script, he'd be like, can we flip it? Because I I really want to go preach some harshness. Uh, But he, he doesn't. And... I believe Jonah wrote this book because he wanted people to see how his heart was regarding the enemies. That's why it was preserved by the Holy Spirit is because this shows us if you're if you're dealing with um, vengeance issues, anger issues, this is the story you need to read. Because the the person who really maybe needed the message of God most was Jonah. He was going to be lost because of his attitude and God gave him mercy. But then another thing, too, is he gets so deep in this, this mindset that he can't, he can't, it gets worse. Because it says in verse 5, or let me back up verse 4, uh, the Lord said to him, is it right for you to be angry? Like, what are, you, what are you upset about? What are you angry about? Do you even have a right to be angry? And Jonah uh, went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made a shelter and sat under it in the shade till it might see what would become of the city. So he goes out. Now, sun rises in the east and sets in the west. 
So he goes to where he can get first light. Now remember, he went a day journey in, went a day journey out. And so he probably gets his shelter and everything set up. And he's just kind of hoping God will change his mind. He sets the shelter up. And I see this at the edge of the city, probably on a little hill or a cliff where he can get a perfect view. So when that sun comes up over the horizon, he wants to see everything. You know, it's like the flashlight shining. He, he wants to see what God's going to do. He's going to punish these people. And he builds a shelter. He plans on staying a while. You know, like I, if you're going to go somewhere and visit, you know, I may take a chair with me if I go to a ball game, but I'm not going to bring a, a tiny home, you know, right? I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to, I'm not, if I decide to go on a trip, I'm not going to pack my entire, you know, house. But he builds a shelter, okay? And it's not... This is not something that you do if you're just going to kind of sit there for the morning. Like he's, he's going to sit there until God does what he thinks God should do. His, his thought is, I'm going to sit right here until you do what you're supposed to do, God. You, you, I know you're a God of mercy and vengeance, but I'm going to sit right here. I'm going to build me a shelter. I'm, going to, I'm just going to sit right here until you do what you're supposed to do, Lord. So his arrogance shows, again, his mindset, his frustration, his anger, his Vengeance. He is going to set in this pain until God brings resolution. And there are some people who, no matter how low they get, they don't want anybody to help them. They just don't want to be helped. Jonah does not want to be helped. He's got God talking to him. He doesn't want to be helped. He wants to sit there until God does what he's supposed to do. And, uh, and, and that oftentimes happens to us even in prayer. Why doesn't God answer my prayers? Well, then I'm just not going to do what he wants me to do. People will punish. They think they're punishing God when they stop coming to church. You know, well, I'm just not going to go to church. That's not punishing God. That's your own self. You're going to be lost. This is not, it's not about what God can and can't do. If you say, well, I just quit. I'm not going to go to church anymore. I'm not going to read my Bible. I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to believe. You know, you, that is not punishing God. It is only taking away from you. So if God's not going to align his priorities with me, maybe I need to align my priorities with him. Jonah just didn't get that. Um, what else do you think about from, from this, where he's sitting on the east side of the city and he's watching the sun come up and he's building his shelter? He knows that God can do all things. And he, he is God. He right. wants to judge all. And he can decide if he wants to kill these people or if he wants to save them. And... You would think Jonah would want to side with God. Right. I can bring down judgment on him too. Right. But he wasn't thinking about that. I mean, you know, Jonah just went through pure dead. Yeah. That God saved him. Yep. And that's the reason he repented. That's right. Right. Yeah. But, you know, God, like you said, Jonah really wasn't repenting. Mm -hmm. It was a, it was a, you know, just a mouthing. Yeah. So, you know, and it shows that. It goes mm -hmm. on to tell that. Right. At the end of the story. But, but I think we have a tendency to do that sometimes, too. Mm -hmm. you know, we're in a bad situation. God says, I'm here, you know, in our, our minds. Mm -hmm. God says, I'm here's a little twinkle. Here's a little, you know, <laughs> a little, little something for you to be good at. Mm -hmm. you know, some, some positive in your mind. Right. And then we go, all right, great, great, great. But we're still mad about whatever happened before. Absolutely. That puts in the situation first. Place. Right. And that's where I think we need to read, you know, emphasize the last part of John. Just let, let us see how you know, God put it there. Yep. God can take it away. That's right. And that's what, you know, that's what John needs to realize. Exactly. God has that power, as you said. That's great. Yeah. Another thing at this point is 
Yeah. That reminds me of the struggle with the child and the parent. Mm-hmm. You know, the child doesn't want to do something, but the parent insists that they have to do it. And they go in there angrily and do it. By the time they get it done, they're finally relaxed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sometimes. Sometimes. Sometimes it makes it more angry, yeah. but there's a reason for everything. Yeah, and you might think of this too as uh, two brothers spatting because you've got Jonah on one side and you've got all these Ninevites on the other side. But one thing I think about frequently when I read the story is that Jonah may have built a shelter partially because he thought maybe God would change his mind, which God doesn't. But the other thing is if he sits there long enough, these people are going to mess up again. They're going to do it again. And so he's going to sit there and go, oh, you're going to forgive them. They're going to do it again to you, Lord. You know, it's almost as if he wants them to fail. He wants them to do the wrong thing. So he's going to sit there and wait until they mess up again. And he would have died here because it takes several years before they get back to the state they're in. But just because somebody is a habitual liar or a a continual sinner, repentance is in the immediate moment. If you say, I'm sorry, I ask for forgiveness, God cleanses that. He lets it go. Repentance means changing. But sometimes people will change their direction back. So repentance may be a continual process. And uh, in the times and the seasons where these people were doing what was right, Jonah's going to have to spend time in heaven with them. I mean, if they got things right and God didn't punish them, and therefore this is the old covenant, they recognize God, they offer sacrifices. I mean, everybody around Jonah is praising God except Jonah. But don't you think he also was maybe kind of avoiding going back to his own people yeah. to have to say, because wasn't there the issue of yes. everyone hated him? Everybody people, hated him. And he didn't want to have to go say, I went and delivered them the message right. that saved them or whatever, you know? Yeah. Most of the cities where they had taken, several of the men, they would take and um, they would put a hook through their jaw right here. And so the hook would, they would kind of pull them along, which might rip their whole jaw off, but they used that instead of like chains like this, they would put hooks inside. And so they loved fish. They worshiped fish. So yeah, it hurts. But they would then, when they got them to town, if they killed them, they would stack their skulls outside of the city. So like, if you ever see vivid imagery and pictures of what, no, uh, you ever seen the Castle Gray Skull? You ever watch He-Man? No? Okay. All right. You remember that the castle is this big gray skull, and it's like the big mouth open. Well, they would use skulls as decorative art on the outside of their, their walls. So when Jonah finally makes it to the city, all of those skulls that are decorating that wall are Israelites. Or their other enemies. Yeah, or other enemies. And so he's walking past this. He knows what his fate could be. God's going to protect him. <clears throat> but it's really hard to show mercy to somebody 
when people you know and families that you've talked to have children and husbands, especially, that their skulls are lined up along that wall as a message to the people of Israel and to any other nation around him. So he's got all the reasons to be angry and upset about it. But instead of going, hey, look, God's shown me mercy, and I don't deserve it, so why not show mercy to others? They don't deserve it either. Uh, He's just arrogant. He may be one of the most arrogant prophets in the Bible because he absolutely believes these people are going to mess up again or God's going to change his mind because there's no way on God's green earth that these people should ever spend a moment of bliss knowing that they were safe in the eyes of God. They needed punishment every day, all day, and God needed to wipe these people off the map. So this is why Jesus, early on in the Sermon on the Mount, says, pray for your enemies. So we have, we, you know, I, I mentioned this, I preached a sermon once, it didn't go over very well, but I preached a sermon once about um, Al-Qaeda. You know, so a lot of us, you know, we're upset about 9-11, and we should be, we're very upset about it. But how many of us are praying for our enemies to come to know Christ? We're not doing that because we want vengeance. We want, we want him to bring down, we want him to bring down fire from heaven. But we don't pray for our enemies because we want them punished. So in a way, we're kind of like Jonah. You know, we get so mad, God, you've got to punish them. And they're people that have hurt me before. And I'm going, certainly one day they're going to get what they deserve. But they may not ever get what they deserve until eternity. And if God wants to show mercy, who am I to say he can't? That was Jonah's, Jonah's issue. And God's not done with him, you know. I think God also, you know, toward the end here, you're probably going to get it here. Mm-hmm. I think it helps us to realize our anxiety and our stress a lot of times comes from not forgiving ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I shouldn't have done this, I shouldn't have done that. But I think God, God tells us here that God gave you what you have. And God tells you to repent, just like mm-hmm. you did the Ninevite. And God will give you forgiveness and God will give you prosperity. Mm-hmm. He gave you prosperity for many years until I messed up again. Right. And we got to understand the same thing. Mm-hmm. Our stress, our anxiety, a lot of times comes from what have I done? Mm-hmm. What did I do wrong? What am I doing wrong? What do I need to do? This is all my fault. Right. Because he's probably blaming himself that, hey, I can't go on because all my friends are going to say, ah, you're the moron who went over there. Yeah. Yeah, right. You know? So, you know, we have sometimes have the same thing. I know I do. You know, what have I done wrong? Right. Why is all this stuff happening? What have I done wrong? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, in, in your struggles, you know, what have I done that I shouldn't have done? And I know that's a great point. And I know that that's happened to me personally because I have gone to people that. Uh, I'm thinking of one specific story of someone who the family did not get along at all. They all hated this one guy. And I started going to visit him. And they're like, you shouldn't be doing that. You know, I'm like, well, I, if we can get him to come to church and we can get, no, we don't want him here. We don't want him here at the church. We don't want him. We don't want that. That's not what the family wants. And I said, okay, I understand. But he has a soul, you know, <clears throat> and you can rub people the wrong way when you do that. If you show kindness, like, why haven't you unfriended him on Facebook? You know, why haven't you, why haven't you banned them from this? Or why are you, why did you invite him to the Christmas party? You know, we didn't have that problem, but why, why didn't you, why didn't you, why did you bring him to the family reunion? You know, why did you do that? And it's just this, this tension. So keep reading. We'll see a couple more things. So he, he makes the shade, makes the shelter. 
uh, and it says that, and the Lord prepared a plant and it made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. So this plant grows up really, really quick. So now he's got this shade so he can stand out there in the sunshine and watch. <clears throat> so he, got, he goes the whole day <laughs> like that. As morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm and it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head. So, it, so he grew faint. Then he wished for death for himself and said, it's better for me to die than live. That's the same thing he said in verse three. Uh, so God, God is preparing all these things. He prepares, uh, he prepares a storm. He prepares a wind. He prepares uh, the tree, this plant. He prepares a worm. He prepares another wind. But the only thing he couldn't get prepared was Jonah. He's the only one. And so God comes to Jonah again, verse 9. And this is how the book ends, by the way. This is, this is probably one of the most cliff, the best cliffhangers in the Bible. <clears throat> God says to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Remember, he asked the same question earlier. Is it right for you to be angry, verse 4? Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, is it right uh, for me to be angry? He said, it's right for me to be angry even to death. He says, I, until I die, of course I should be angry about this. Verse 10, but the Lord said, you had pity on the plant for which you've not labored nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock? Most scholars believe that he's referencing the women and children, especially the children. There's 120,000 people here. You just want me to kill all these children so you can feel better about yourself? That's how the book ends. (laughs) So that's why I think Jonah wrote the book, is to show that his attitude needed to change. And anybody who reads this would be like, man, what happened next? Well, the question is, what happens next for you when you read the book? Are you going to have vengeance or are you going to have mercy? Are you going to be on board with what God does regardless of it? You think it's right or wrong? Are you willing to say that your enemies need to be forgiven? Are you willing to say my enemies are deserving of mercy as much as I am? So you leave with this cliffhanger to say, well, I guess I'm the Jonah of the story. I'm the one that runs from God. I'm the one that doesn't talk to people about Jesus. (laughs) I'm the one that, well, it gets personal, doesn't it? I'm the one that really wants people that are bad to be punished. I'm the one that wants to sit in my misery and complain all the time. And that's why it's in our Bible. I think that's so much harder than we give it. Because, like, I I think about, you know, somebody who watches people hurt their loved ones. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's even worse. Like, like two siblings and one is always doing something to the parents. And you're loving them. I mean, it's hard to... It's hard to keep forgiving and then... To even want to try to, I don't, I don't know. You hear what I'm saying? Yeah. Like because when it is personal to you, like mm-hmm. I can only imagine how it was for Jonah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we are quick to mm-hmm. judge him. Yeah, yeah, we are, and we're pretty harsh on him. Maybe rightfully so, but I'm gonna assume that he repented and walked away because somebody had to write the story. I'm assuming that he finally had his heart pricked and he left his shelter. 
and went back home or went somewhere. Maybe he had some business in Tarshish and he needed to get back to it. But this is a city that is landlocked. I mean, it's in the middle of, it's, it's a day's journey at least from the sea to the middle of this or to the doors of the city, and then another day into the city. It's a lot of walking, but he did, he got on a ship and went out in the middle of the water. He went as far away from Nineveh as he could possibly get. And we will invest time and money into things to get what we want when it's not what God wants. You know, you, well, people, people will spend a lot of their energy on something because it's something that they desire, but God says, that's, you could be better, you could better use your time than than dealing with stuff like that. And instead of being on the ship, think about how much he could have preached and taught getting to that city and saying a little more than a sentence. You know, I don't know how much he said, but I'm going to assume it was short. And, uh, and, and so we have to think and pray in the will of God. What does God want me to do? What does God want me to say? How does God want me to act? Because he's not, he doesn't look like a good prophet of God. He's not a, an Elijah. He's not, a, he's not an Isaiah, you know. He's Jonah. And he's got an amazing story to tell, but it's not all good news. Um, it's a story of forgiveness. <coughs> we didn't realize even the, what we consider the worst of sinners, God yeah. wants them to repent. Yeah. And that's why he's so long suffering. He gives us so much time. People's like, well, when is God coming? Right. We know that he's long suffering. He doesn't want any to perish. Mm-hmm. And we've got, and we're learning from this too, is forgiveness. No matter right. how hard and difficult it is. Absolutely. And maybe just add on to that, not only forgiveness towards others, but some but you mentioned how sometimes we'll be blaming God for things, but also you could also kind of interpret it as a lesson about forgiveness towards God and what mm-hmm. what his plans are and what he's wanting to have happen. Right. So, um, yeah. letting go of letting go of what's going on in your life or what seem or what you think is not a great plan by God, but um I may not be wording this correctly, but... No. Yeah, I think we try to guess what God wants. We, we, we want to try to predict what his next step will be. And then we get upset when it doesn't happen the way we want it. And, uh, and it's, it ultimately, it's a story about the mercy of the Lord. And he, he's the one who shows the mercy. We ought to learn to show mercy, too. If we want mercy, we've got to get mercy. And he didn't show it, so he didn't deserve it. Um, one final thought, too, before we go, is when you think about Jonah as a prophet of God, as a leader of God's people, the, if this was his attitude in Nineveh, what was his attitude in Israel? How did he talk about the enemies of God? How did he talk about people? Did he, did it, was he a guy who was saying an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? You know? Was that the type of way that he ruled uh, what we do and our attitude and actions will impact other people. And if he had this attitude before he got there, maybe when he got back and he started talking about the mercy of God, maybe he was able to convince people, I was wrong. You know, I shouldn't have been so harsh. There are a lot of children in that city that don't deserve to die. Um, and I love how God says also the livestock. So <laughs> there's some animals there that don't deserve the punishment either. All right. That's all till next week. We, we will study uh, Martha. Remember the Mary Martha story in Luke 10? We'll talk about her. Jesus, Jesus says, Martha, Martha. I love it. Thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, visit our website at rayreynoldsrap.com. 
www.thepowerofprayer.com. If you'd like to contribute to the show, content suggestions, uh, questions, prayer requests, or even if you just want to reach out to us, you can email us at rayreynoldswrap at gmail.com. Have a great day as you seek to maintain an authentic life in Christ Jesus. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible correspondence course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214.